Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. This is Beth Heaton. I'm back. I'm hosting the show for two weeks in a row, which is very exciting to me. Uh, And it is the most wonderful time of the year. However, it's not because it's Christmas, although I am a Christmas person and I am very excited about Christmas. But it's more exciting to me that we are wrapping up the application season. Bad puns and all. So uh, if you are a senior, get it done. And if you want some advice on something not to do, check out my final blog in the Huffington Post series on evaluating your chances for the Ivies. I have some last-minute advice there for students looking at highly selective schools. Um, On today's show, we're going to be offering uh, advice for parents of high school students who haven't yet started saving for college. And in office hours, we're going to be talking about the Columbia University supplements and how to approach those essays. But in our first segment, I'm super excited to welcome Judith Hodara of Fortuna Admissions, also formerly of the Wharton School of Business, and she's here to talk to us about leadership uh, and the MBA. Hi, Judith. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure to be on your show, Uh, a great way to kick off uh, what seems to be a beautiful day here um, out in the wilds of Pennsylvania. So glad (laughs) glad to have the chance to talk with everybody today. Yeah, no, it's quite nice here in New England, too, and no snow yet, which I will be, which I'm happily embracing. Uh, Well, you know, you and I talked earlier about what we wanted to cover on on this segment. And I think one of the things we realize is it's a great idea to kind of take a step back. And when you hear people talking about going for your MBA, applying for your MBA, I do think a lot of people will mention, oh, you have to have leadership. And so rather than hopping right into, okay, this is good leadership to have, let's take a step back and maybe tell us a little bit about why is leadership so important within the context of an MBA? Sure. I'm glad to talk about that with you. And I think what's important in my mind, and I think I, I, think I, was, I was chatting with someone else the other day, Beth, that it really should be called a, a master's of business leadership. Um, I think yes. <laughs> administration is a bit of a dry word because so much of what a student would learn within the context of the MBA program is about leading others, encouraging others to participate in teamwork, getting on board for a common goal. And leadership really um, starts not in the professional world when you when you graduate from university. It really starts much before that. And, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what I sort of wanted to chat a little bit with you uh, about today so that students weren't feeling like when they graduate from college, all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, I have to start to find some leadership roles because that's going to be something that's really important for my eventual graduate school program. But how to address right. that beforehand. Right. Well, because as with everything, and we talk about this in the context of college admissions as well, you don't suddenly wake up one day and go, oh, my God, I have to I have three months before I'm applying. I need to do all of these things for my applications. It's these records are built over time. And when you're applying to graduate school, that's really no different than um, when you're applying to college. So 
I guess my first question is um, maybe we could talk about some examples of college leadership that might resonate in an MBA application. There are so many different ways to find leadership, to create leadership within the context of a college experience. And there's formal leadership. Perhaps you're a member of a Greek organization, or perhaps you're the member of um, a campus-wide arts organization or a political organization. But there are also kind of informal ways to become a leader as well. Maybe you are part of an academic group that's really interested in diving into a certain subject area, and you're leading um, individuals to kind of rally around that particular topic. Or maybe you find that there's a cause that you care deeply about and isn't necessarily formal but it's something that you want to rally other individuals to join you in learning more about and supporting. So leadership comes in so many different ways, and I think the surprising thing for students when they get to college is that the, the, the breadth and depth of these opportunities. Um, so it, it's not like in high school where there's sort of there's only, you know, seven or ten clubs and there's only certain amounts of opportunities. These are far, far wide and, and very um, really full experiences for the students when they first get to campus. I also wanted to add, um, you know, certainly athletics and intramural sports are other terrific ways to show, to, to show that, to demonstrate that leadership ability. Got it. And so to the point that you just made about how many different opportunities there are, what's your advice to a student who is just arrived on a college campus, has in his or her head that, hey, eventually, maybe I don't know yet if I'm going to get my MBA, but I think I might, or I would like it to be a possibility. What, what are the things you recommend them doing to pursue leadership once they get to college? What are some steps that you would say? Well, I would say to take a really good look at all the different opportunities that are out there. Most colleges and universities will host fairs during the first couple of weeks of campus that you can learn about different organizations. Um, you know, obviously, if you are interested in the Greek system, that's one sort of more formalized way to go through leadership. If you're on a sports team, you know, there are certainly captains and practice captains. But just by exploring the things that you never really knew, hey, if I start writing for the newspaper or I start selling ads for the newspaper as a first-year student, maybe in my second year, I'll manage a couple of other students that are doing this, and maybe in my next year I'll be an editor, and maybe in my last year I'll be on the executive board. So there, there are things that sort of build on one another, and this is not to preclude finding things in your third year that you love and you can't wait to pursue, but really being open to these opportunities just because you've never done XYZ as a, as a high school student doesn't mean that you can't decide, hey, I, I really am interested in building sets for the theater department. Yeah, I, I haven't done this before, but this is something that I think is really neat, and I'm going to see what it feels like and, and check it out and then see what, where I go from here. So it's a time of tremendous exploration, and it's also a time to sort of begin to, to really sort out the things that um, are going to stick with you for the next couple of years as well. Got it. And, and one, you know, one of the things that you and I were talking about that I think is really, you know, that sort of idea of trying things out that you haven't yet um, and, and maybe exploring some things, because I, I do feel like people have a pretty narrow view of, or can, not always, but can have a really narrow view of business, right? So one of the things we talked about was, 
a student who is heavily into theater, maybe gets involved in the theater department in college and first just tries out for a play, then gets involved, maybe starts directing, maybe ultimately um, goes on to kind of head up the student drama department and is picking out the plays that they're going to produce in, in his or her senior year, graduates from college, maybe goes to work, tries to work as an actor, doesn't really find work, but finds work in that theater world. I'm not sure lots of people think about the fact that that person ultimately may go on and get his or her MBA and in, with the goal of going back into the theater world and leading it right. or maybe doing something different. So, and I agree with you that you never know where your passions are going to take you. And right. there's, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to Wall Street. It doesn't mean that you're going to get into consulting. And it doesn't mean that you're going to Silicon Valley. But it may mean that you're running a nonprofit. It may mean that you're running a local organization. It may mean that you're creating opportunities for people in your community um, to get back into the workforce. You know, I'm just sort of thinking of all these different ways that starting your college career and, and really caring about what it is you choose to study can, can really impact what you end up doing later on. And it doesn't always feel like, oh, I'm an English major. I'm going to end up as a, you know, getting my MBA. But you'd be surprised. And as you mentioned, yes. that's a terrific. I'm going to give you an example, actually, someone that um, we worked with last year who was an opera singer, had studied voice in college, clearly not a business person, and mm-hmm. then really knew that he, his voice was eventually going to, you know, after X number of years, was probably going to start to give out a little bit. <laughs> and he really wants to run an opera company. So he got his MBA in order to be able to do that. And that's just one example of, of how sort of what you, doing what you love can, can really open the doors to a lot of different opportunities. And, and I, I love that element, and I, I bring it up and kind of stress it here because I, we do talk to a lot of students and parents who feel so strongly that they need to know exactly what they're going to do now, in high school even, and aren't, you know, and I get the whole, and I've talked about this previously on the show, and I understand that college is super expensive, and it is a scary thing to have your child go off with really no plan other than, I'm going to really explore what's interesting to me, and I get it. Things can go awry quickly if there isn't at least some structure there. But I, you know, I have to believe and I see it in examples of it in my in my life all the time that if you at least follow your interests and explore those interests, that you ultimately land at a better place or at a place that's a better fit for you there. You know, I would argue that running an opera company requires the same skill set as running a company. But if you're really into opera, you're really going to enjoy that. And by the way, if you've been an opera singer, you're going to understand the people who work for you in a completely different way than just someone off the street who has their MBA and knows how to run a company. Exactly. You know, exactly. That intersection of interest and ability is really, I think, the sweet spot for everyone, um, no matter what age you are. And then taking that into that leadership role. So as you said earlier, you know, starting to maybe do some articles for the newspaper and then, 
you know, the next rung of leadership within the newspaper and then maybe learning more about the industry. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become a media mogul when you graduate, but right. it, it shows that you, you know, if you, if you think about those skill sets, it shows that you're an independent worker, you're able to be innovative and creative, you're then able to, you know, work collaboratively with others at the paper, you're then able to manage a team of individuals, you're able to, you know, create a deliverable, like, so there's all these really valuable skill sets, um, and that's just one, that's, again, that's just one example, but, but universities are just, you know, everywhere you turn, there are other ways that you can have that, that kind of impact um, and, and maybe in, in ways you hadn't even thought of. And, and, and let me ask you this question. When it comes time to apply, does the student with a little bit more of a unique background, like the opera singer, stand out a little bit more than the person who's taken perhaps the more traditional path to ultimately applying for an MBA? Sure. You know, any, anybody that has a good story, an interesting story that's a little bit off the, you know, what you might expect, is going to get a, an, another look. I'm not saying yep. that, um, oh, that means that you have to find a really obscure major and follow it, but it, right. it certainly speaks to not just thinking, oh, here is my path, here is my leadership path, here is A, B, C, D that I must do in order to get admitted. Um, so just to think a little bit more, and I just use that word creative, but about the possibilities of the other ways that, that you can really get gain this leadership experience. Because don't forget, college leadership experience then sets the tone for what you're going to do after school as well. And, that, yep. and that's critical. So you don't, again, wake up the morning after graduation and say, oh, my goodness, I need to gain leadership experience. It really should be an organic outgrowth of what you've been doing since you were an undergrad as well. Right. And speaking of that, uh, things that since the majority of our listeners are in high school now, any suggestions for pursuing leadership in high school or developing that skill set while they're still in high school? I think that there are, you, you may feel like there's only limited opportunities. You know, one president of the following six organizations or one captain mm-hmm. of the tennis team or one lead in the school play or one director. But the truth is, there's lots of other ways to demonstrate that leadership. So maybe you're not the president of the organization, but maybe you're, um, you run a committee, or maybe you work on a specific um, event that raises X number of dollars to help with, you know, a certain need in the community or at your school. So I think that really considering, okay, well, I'm, I may not be the, the number one person in, in title, but I've really mm-hmm. had an impact. And, and that, to me, is such an important word. That impact can, can really shape how you present yourself to the schools that you're applying to and how they see what you've been able to do in high school. So and I often hear, you know, juniors talking about, oh, my goodness, I didn't, I didn't get elected. My best friend got elected. You know, this is well mm-hmm. with me. What am I going to do? And my response to that is, well, think about the other ways that you can really be involved in this, in this organization and how you're going to be able to shape your experience without that title. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of creativity, but it's a great exercise. And usually students say to me, oh, yeah, I get it. You know, these are, these are things that I can, I can really impact even without that president or vice president title. 
Right. And, and, and I would say that the, the future leaders who are going to be successful in getting their MBA are going to be able to develop those pathways for themselves. And, um, and, and I would also say that if you can do those things that Judith is mentioning, to my listeners, I'll say this, uh, that's going to be great for you just in terms of your regular college applications, let alone when you get to college and start developing those leadership skills further. Um, any final advice that you have for our listeners today? I do. It's, it's really just to not be super concerned with the person sitting next to you in economics class or history class feels like they, they, they need to do in order to get to where they want. What really matters is that you are finding the things that, that matter to you as a high school student, um, you know, as you're talking with your friends during the lunch in the lunchroom, and, and then again when you get to college, because that is what drives this whole train. It is that real excitement, passion, conviction, commitment, and, and it doesn't have to look like everybody else's. And I think all too often high school kids and, and parents, and it makes sense, you know, you, you mm-hmm. think that this is the path, and the truth is there's so many different ways to get to your, you know, your eventual goal. And if you had asked me when I was a high school student, you know, do you think you're going to end up with a career in university admissions and university administration and then, you know, be a business person? And I was like, no, I wanted to be a librarian. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Uh, which I and here you are. Might be, might be my next act, but you never really know. Um, and it's, it's just finding those things that speak to you and really following them that can, that can have a, a tremendous way for you to, to find your path. Judith, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's been terrific. I wish everybody a wonderful holiday and a happy new year. And Beth, it's always a pleasure. All right. Thank you so much. And if our listeners are interested in learning more, Judith wrote a great blog for us, and you can find that at blog.getintocollege.com. Next up, advice for parents getting a late start on saving for college. So we'll be back in a minute to talk about that. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. News. Opinion. 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 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Well, we're back, and I'm very excited because I have Katie Flynn from savingforcollege.com, which is one of our favorite websites for that subject matter, Saving for College, uh, and she's here to talk to us a little bit about that subject. Hi, Katie. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, today we are talking to parents who maybe have been in the back of their mind thinking, boy, I really need to save for college uh, since their kid was born, but haven't actually been able to start or just kind of never did get started And now they have kids in high school and they're thinking, oh, my gosh, the train has totally left the station. And now that I don't even have an opportunity to save for college. But I think you have at least a little bit of hope for these parents uh, to share with us. I do. I do. Um, And it's a common problem. So, you know, don't feel bad. I would say if you haven't started, it's so many people are in the same position. Things happen. You know, life gets in the way. But fortunately, you know, even if you have a student that's going into high school, you still have a good eight years until they're likely to graduate college. So just think you're not you're not totally at the end. You still have time. All right. Good. So we're starting on the positive. Um, I, why don't we start with all, so some a couple of basic things. What are some of the most common ways to save for college? Well, there are a number of ways to save. And surprisingly, many families are saving using just a regular savings account, like the regular bank account. Um, Some might use a mutual fund, um, some might use a custodial account. But, you know, since college is such a major purchase, um, you really want to try and maximize your savings. So that's why um, tax advantage vehicles, like maybe a Roth IRA, you've got the Coverdell Education Savings Account, um, and then you have prepaid and 529 savings plans. Those are um, probably going to be your best options since they do offer the tax-free growth. And that's going to give you a little bit more of a boost than, let's say, a regular savings account or a taxable account like a mutual fund. Okay. And when I think about 529 plans, I think about, oh, that's something you get when your child is little. Um, But uh, talk to us a little bit about getting one for an older child and also just a little bit about how those work. Sure. Um, You know, 529 college savings plans, they're becoming one of the more popular ways to save. And, you know, we think they're the best way to save because of the advantages they offer. And as far as age, um, with a 529 plan, there are no age limits. So you can start as early or as late as you want. It doesn't have any effect. And you can keep the money in the account for as long as you want. Um, That's different from things like, for example, the Coverdell Education Savings Account, where you have to withdraw the money by the time the beneficiary turns 30, 529 mm-hmm. accounts have no age limit. So that's favorable for an older student. Um, with the 529 plan, you're going to contribute after-tax dollars, and that money grows tax-free until it's withdrawn to pay for college. And then as long as you use the funds to pay for what's called qualified higher education expenses, you, you're not going to pay taxes when you withdraw. 
if you do end up using the money for something else, all you'll have to pay is income tax and a 10% penalty only on the earnings portion of the withdrawal. So the money that you put in, which is your contributions, they'll never be taxed or penalized. Mm -hmm. Um, The earnings portion would be, you know, any gains in the account. And so every withdrawal is prorated with an equal portion of contributions and earnings. So you're only going to pay that penalty on the earnings. Okay. You will you pay taxes on the part that that you put in or no? Even if you if you pull that out, it's tax free. It is tax free. However, this is you might be thinking of a Roth IRA when you can choose to pull out the contributions first. Mm-hmm. But with a five two nine plan, every withdrawal is going to have a portion that includes earnings. Got it. Okay, and that's yeah. the part that's going to be taxed. Okay. Um, well, you mentioned qualified expenses. Uh, what are some examples of qualified expenses? Because I know that's not everything, but it is a lot that's related to what you're paying for for school. It is. And, you know, that's another great thing about 529 plans. They're very flexible with what you can use them on. So this includes tuition, books, supplies, um, equipment needed for class. If you have special needs, it would include any special needs equipment you, that would require you to for course enrollment. Um, And if the student is enrolled at least half-time, you can use it to pay for your room and board. Um, Nice. And just recently, in the past couple of years, computers were added to the list. Yeah, you kind of, that's a sort of required piece of equipment these days. I don't know how, certainly college students could get through college without a computer, so that makes sense. Uh, And then here's the the age-old question. We've tackled this in different segments in different ways on the show, but I always think it bears repeating. Um, If you decide to open a 529 now, especially you're a parent of a high school student, let's say you have a ninth grader or a 10th grader, you're opening a 529, is that going to hurt your chances of getting financial aid when it's time to apply to college in a couple of years? Yeah, that's a great question. We get that question all the time as well. Um, Your 529 plan will have an impact on financial aid eligibility, but in reality, the effect is much smaller than any other type of saving vehicles, including the ones I've mentioned. Um, 529 plans, they receive favorable treatment on the FAFSA. And what that means is whether or not a parent or a dependent student owns the account, it's always treated as a parental asset. So those are counted as much less toward your expected family contribution. Um, so, you know, and also, parent assets around the first twenty to thirty thousand fall into under the asset protection allowance, and they're not going to be counted at all. So the Got only it. thing you'd even have to worry about it is if you're going to if you have more than that in savings, and in which case, even if you do, the parental assets are only counted as a, at a, as a maximum of five point six four percent. So it's right. very I mean, minimal. Um, yeah, okay. and even more Sorry. important is when you withdraw. Uh, the withdrawals are excluded from your federal income tax and not reported on the FAFSA at all. Interesting. So I, I think that the thing that we always come back to is it is never a bad idea to save. You are not being penalized for saving. I know that's something that is a myth out there that seems to persist, but it is minimal piece of the financial aid calculation, which is primarily based on income. And if you earn a lot of money, the expectation is that you can afford to spend a chunk of that money to send your child to college. And if you don't earn a lot money, a lot of money, then you are likely to get financial aid and it will be more or less generous depending on the college you're applying to and, and what kind of money they give out in aid. 
Okay, so all of that said, and I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but let me just ask for sure, just more clearly, but does it make sense for high school students to save using a 529 plan, even though they don't have that much time left before they're going to have to start paying for college? You know, it it doesn't not make sense, I'll say. I mean, of course, you're not going to get the full benefit of the tax-free compounding. Um, You know, it is an investment account, and with the tax-free growth, You'll get the biggest benefit by starting early, but that being said, as I mentioned, you still have quite a few years to save. I mean, there is no rule that you have to withdraw and close out your 529 plan right when you start college. So you're going to be in college for four or five years. You still have that time to accumulate and grow your savings. Um, One of the other things to mention is that 34 states plus D.C. are also offering a tax benefit for 529 contributions. So um, that might be a state tax deduction or a state tax credit. Um, That could be an incentive to save for Mm -hmm. the parents. Um, You know, most of those states, you have to use your home state plan to get the benefit. Mm -hmm. But if you live in Arizona, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, or Pennsylvania, you would get that state tax break for investing in any state's 529 plan. Right. So you have choice and you still get a tax benefit, which is pretty awesome. And you mentioned earlier that you can keep this open. There is no limit. So as with the Coverdale, where you have to close it out when the student turns 30, can these funds be put towards graduate school? So if you are a high school student who ultimately plans to go get your MBA, as we were just talking about, or do some other type of graduate school, can you use 529 plans towards that? You can. You can. That's the, And I'm glad you brought that up because I should have mentioned you can use it for any um, eligible secondary institution. So um, that could be grad school. That could be culinary school. It could be some sort of trade school. It could be private college, public college, doesn't matter, community college. So your options are, are pretty wide. Um, if for some reason the child doesn't go to any college or you have leftover money, you can always change the beneficiary to another qualifying family member. And that um, that definition is also pretty broad. It could be a niece or nephew, a spouse. You could use the money for yourself. So there, there's definitely options. You're not going to lose out. Got it. Okay, good. And in terms of just some nuts and bolts, when it's time to start paying for college, you have money in that 529. Any advice about how you withdraw those funds in order to, to pay for college? Sure. Um, what we typically recommend is you want to take out the maximum You want to get the maximum tax benefit. So what that means is you want to take all of your qualifying expenses for the year, but before you subtract those from your 529 plan, what you want to take into consideration is if you're going to take the American Opportunity Tax Credit, and this is the tax credit where you can use qualifying expenses up to $4,000 to generate a tax credit. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure you subtract that $4,000 from the amount of your qualifying expenses because there's no double dipping. Okay. Right. Um, Okay. And then leftover money in the account, you end up saving so much. This is everyone's dream. You save so much or your child gets scholarships or ends up going to a school that is less expensive for whatever reason you wind up with money in that account that you didn't end up using uh, on college expenses. What happens to that money? Well, it just stays in the account. So it's, (laughs) It doesn't go anywhere unless you move it. So, if you know, if you're a parent and you have the account and your child, you know, is done with college, the money will stay there until you decide to either change the beneficiary or use it for something else. You know, if 
worst comes to worst and you have nothing to spend it on, you can always take a non-qualified withdrawal and just pay that income tax and penalty on the earnings. But, um, you know, not, not, you know, it doesn't close or anything. You can just right. decide what you want to do with it. Right. And, and you mentioned something important. You could change the beneficiary. So for parents of multiple students who will ultimately go to college, you can always, if there are funds remaining from child number one, you can always shift those over and use them for child number two and so on down the line, right? Right, exactly. Um, you know, I'll mention it. It's, if you have more than one child, um, sometimes it's better to have an account for each child. And that's because a lot of these plans offer what's called an age-based investment option. So that is where um, the plan's going to take the child's age into consideration, and the, the investments are going to be automatically allocated as the beneficiary gets closer to college. So you want to start out maybe saving a little bit more aggressively when they're young, but if we're talking about high school students, you might not want to have that much risk in your portfolio. So if the children are different ages, it's sometimes best to have their own account so that you can set up that age-based option specific to their age. Got it. Okay. Any final advice, other ways students maybe can bring down costs if they aren't able to sell, save enough, especially when you're getting started a little, late, a little later, it can make it a little bit more challenging to save as much as you actually need. Right, right. That's a good point. Um, you know, save what you can. Um, ask friends and family for help. Um, this is another pretty cool thing about 529s is that you can accept contributions from other people. So grandma, grandpa, whoever else, whoever's coming to your, you know, eighth grade graduation party, whatever, they can actually contribute to your account and help grow your savings. So I think that's, that's a really smart way. And, um, you know, besides that, income from jobs, um, contributions from parents, apply for scholarships, apply for financial aid. I think all those things in combination, if you can't meet it, you know, meet the full balance. There's always student loans. Uh, but, yeah, I think right. starting with that 529 plan, just getting the plan open and being able to ask for contributions. A lot of plans offer gifting platforms where you can actually set up either a social media page or an email and kind of send out requests for gifts almost, announcing that, you know, there's a birthday or there's a holiday and this is what this is what the student would prefer instead of a gift. Right. And that's a good point because there are a lot of birthdays and holidays that are going to come up between now and when you're actually going off to college. So just understand if you're going to ask people for that, they probably are going to feel entitled to ask you where you are applying. So you may not get away with the whole, oh, I don't really want to talk about it over Christmas dinner or over Thanksgiving dinner. It may end up being the because they're going to have a vested interest. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beth. It was, it was, it was great. All right. Awesome. Uh, and like Judith, our previous guest, Katie has just written a great blog for us on 529 tax breaks. And um, that is currently up on the blog and you can read it at blog. Uh, wow, I lost my blog address here. Blog.getintocollege.com. It's not that tough, but for whatever reason, I couldn't find it. Uh, okay. We are going to be back in a minute and we're going to be talking about the Columbia University Supplement and how to approach those essays. So don't go away.
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Uh, My colleague and former Barnard Admissions Officer, Mary Sue Yoon, is here to discuss the Columbia Supplement with us. It's office hours. We're going to take you through it question by question. Hi, Mary Sue. Hi, Beth. How are you today? I'm good, thanks. And thanks for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. All right. Before we dig into the questions, I have a piece of advice for everyone. Whatever you do, don't talk too much about Barnard in your Columbia Supplement. Right. And no one probably has any idea what we're talking about, but Barnard has a challenge with students writing too much about Columbia in their supplements. So I'm just going to throw it out there to anybody who's like, you know, I'm applying to Columbia, but I really love Barnard and I might write more about Barnard than I should. So anyway, both ways. Exactly. It goes both ways. All right. So Columbia has, like a number of the Ivies, has a pretty extensive uh, supplement that requires quite a bit of additional writing. Um, Interestingly enough, the first one, two, three, four, five uh, items on the Columbia supplement, which also which all have a maximum of 150 words, start with the word list. List a few words, list the titles, um, list the titles. Uh, And so before we dig into those, let's talk a little bit about when Columbia says list, do they really mean a list? They do. Um, And that's actually one of the hardest things to impress upon students that I work with is that some of them get really nervous about just writing a list. And I said, well, they're asking for a list, so you can 
truly put a list there where it says it. Um, you know, in the interpretation of list, we can get into uh, when we get into the specific questions as to how you might attack those. But when it says list, it does not need to be, you know, a prose piece that is uh, lovely and, and written out. Um, it can just be a list with kind of bullet points or dashes in front of it. Yes, take them at their word. If they say they want a list, give them a list. If they say they want an essay, by the way, give them an essay. Don't write them a poem or give them a list. So, right. all right, <laughs> let's dig into the first one. List a few words or phrases that describe your ideal college community. Yeah. Tricky one, I think. Yeah, I think actually that this one's kind of, the rest of their, their supplement here has been around for a number of years, but I feel like this is a newer one. Um, and so... I feel like what they're looking for is, is they want the student to be thoughtful about their college search process. What are you really looking for when you are picturing that ideal campus environment? Um, so it can be talking about, you know, what academic environment you would like to be present, um, what you would like the sort of opportunities or social events to be like on the campus, how would you like peers to engage with each other. Um, so I, I think it's, uh, it is really asking the student to kind of be thoughtful and proactive about what they are looking for in a college and sort of put that out there um, to, and it doesn't have to be, you know, picking only things that deal with Columbia, but sort of what is that ideal environment. Right. I, I do think one one key point to mention here would be that if you are naming a bunch of things that really don't apply to Columbia, that's probably a sign that Columbia and you are not a fit, and the admissions office is going to notice that as well. So if you Absolutely. want... Right. Like if you're saying I can't wait to, to get to college for the freedom to study whatever I want in whatever quantity I want and just pick every course based on my interests alone. Guess what? Columbia doesn't function that way. You're better off mm -hmm. looking at Brown if you're going to look at a highly right. selective. Right. So that's something important to note. Yep. All right, next one. List the titles of the required readings from courses during the school year or summer that you enjoyed most in the past year. Mm -hmm. Interesting um, one. So for this one, I would say it's really thinking about, it's not sort of a quiz on, you know, what did your English teacher choose to give you in the last year, but sort of what did you engage with the most? What spoke to you the most of, of the required pieces that you were required to do um, either for, if for preparation for your senior year or during 11th grade or whenever, you know, whenever was last year um, for, for the, when you're filing the application. I think it doesn't have to be a particular um, type of book. Uh, sometimes students always go to kind of the traditional English literature that a lot of high school teachers cover. Um, mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be that. If your English teacher gave you a great article that you um, really enjoyed or, or something that was a short story or something along those lines. It, it's just sort of a finding out, okay, which of the readings that you had in front of you kind of spoke to you and you connected with, and they want to see that connection. Right. It doesn't just have to be English. It doesn't have to just be English and history, where those mm -hmm. places that you most commonly read up from outside sources. So I think that's a really good point. Um, we, we mentioned it at the beginning when we were talking about this concept of a list. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, it's a list of, of things that you've read. Is there a need to um, 
put any additional information in there? Do you need to include the, the author? Do you need to include why you liked it? Uh, well, I think that that, uh, so in terms of, uh, you know, including the author, I generally have a practice of telling students to include the author. Um, that was particularly important. I had a student who was putting down a book that I thought was another book based on the title, and it turns out that it was very similarly named um, from a very famous book, but it was not the famous book. It was it was another book. So, mm. um, so in that kind of situation, definitely you want to put the author so that you're making it clear which version of that uh, piece you are talking about. Um, in terms of whether you say why you enjoyed it or annotated it in any way, I've kind of had students do both approaches, and, and both types have been successful. Uh, realize, though, that it is a 150-word maximum limit, so you are fairly um, constrained as to what you need to put or what you have space to put uh, in, that, right. in that piece. So. Sometimes it can just be the title and the author. Um, I have had students do a shorter list and maybe write one sentence about what they particularly connected with with that book. But it's not going to be, again, it's not uh, an essay, so you're not going to be extolling about one particular book for 150 words. If you do annotate it in any way, um, it's going to be a pretty brief phrase that you might say about that book. Right, and doesn't even necessarily need to be a complete sentence. And Correct. please hear us when we say you don't need it at all. You can just go with a straight-up list. And you and I have both had experience, as of our colleagues, of either approach working. So, yeah. um, right, you don't need that. All right, next one. List the titles of the books you read for pleasure that you enjoyed mm. most in the past year. Yeah, so I love this one because... Um, I always find that the first cut of the list that the students share with me is often the things that they think admissions officers yes. want to hear. Yes. <laughs> so, and that's when I'll sort of, you know, put on my, you know, come on face and go like, really? Like, I'm sure you probably read something that was a little more fluffy in the last year. Um, and, and that kind of goes for all of these lists here that they realize in the admissions office that you are genuinely a teenager. And so, yes, if you read something that was a little more highbrow and you really enjoyed it, fine, put that on the list. But don't be afraid to put down something that was a little lighter that you just kind of read for fun on there, particularly if it's something that kind of speaks to your interests and, and um, just be, you picked it up for that reason. So um, right. it, it can be kind of a mix of more academic pieces with the things that you truly did read and enjoy that, you know, you just read because you thought it'd be fun to explore. Right. Combo and be authentic. Yeah. A combo of be stuff that, yeah. you know, be authentic. And that's really, by the same token, I guess, the flip side, if you come to me with a list that's all fun stuff, I might want you to, you know. Yes. Yeah, that's add a little either. bit of academia to it, just a little, a little at least, heft. right? Yeah, a little bit of half yeah. is good, but exactly. it doesn't have to be all uh, heavyweight books. It can be, it can be a mix, and certainly that's the goal. All right. So, in order to leave enough time to talk about the two longer essays mm-hmm. more quickly, the titles of any different advice that you would give about for the next one list the titles of the print, electronic publications, and websites you read regularly. No, so for this one and the next one, which is about list the title of films, concerts, et cetera, mm-hmm. events you've gone to, I would say it's the same advice as the book titles. Be authentic, be genuine. Um, you don't have to give all uh, very, you know, academic kind of answers. If you, in your 
uh, electronic publications, you know, go on, um, you know, a social media site or if you do read, uh, have a favorite YouTuber that you like or something like that, that's fine to put in a couple of those things too. It's, again, Mm -hmm. the goal for these lists is to have that mix of both some academic heft but also some things that you just kind of genuinely enjoy for fun. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So let's get to the next two, which are not lists, which are essays. Um, And the first one is, and I'm going to read them together, actually. So the first one is, please tell us what you value most about Columbia and why. And then the second one is, please tell us what from your current and past experiences, either academic or personal, attracts you specifically to the field or fields of study that you noted in the member questions section. If you're currently undecided, Please write about any field or fields in which you have an interest at this time. I read these together because to me, they kind of overlap and sort of fit that why this college question, albeit in different ways. And I'm curious if you see them similarly or kind of how you encourage students to tackle each of these while keeping in mind that they have to write both of them. Right. And I think reading them together is is a good strategy in that, um, for any college that has, this is not just for Columbia, but really for any college that has multiple essays or multiple prompts on their supplement, you not only want to work on each individual piece, but you want to see, okay, how do all these pieces flow and fit together? Um, yep. Because And do they give a full picture of you as an applicant? And so reading these two together is important because you don't want to overlap content too much between the two. They're giving you two 300-word pieces, and you want to use each of your 300 words to be able to talk about yourself. And so you don't, in the, in the first one, tell us what you most value about Columbia. Um, so maybe that's an opportunity to talk about um, the things that you like about either Columbia College or Columbia Engineering. Um, in particular, what do you like about sort of their academic approach? What do you like about... Um, the location or the student activities that you could see yourself being involved in? What do you generally enjoy about the the Columbia environment? Um, But the second question is more specifically about your academic interests. What are your academic interests? And so I sometimes tell students to kind of stay away from specifically talking about your academic interests in the first one, what you value Mm -hmm. most about Columbia, because you're going to be saying that in the second one. Um, so that there's not so much, you're not giving up too much of your word space by overlapping the content. Right. And, and I think in both situations, and, and really good point about how they all sort of flow together, um, but, I, you know, they're both why this college essays. Mm-hmm. And one real hallmark, and did you do that segment with the, me this year? I feel like I did it with somebody, and I feel like it might have been you that we talked Maybe, about Maybe, I'm that. not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the, the hallmarks of a really great Why This College essay is that you are including specifics about the college you're applying to. And by the way, you're not telling them things about themselves. What you're telling them is why I like this specific thing that you offer. Um, that's the angle, right, that you're going right. for. And so... Even though they're asking you in the second one about your academic focus, mm-hmm. they still want to understand how that relates to how you're going to pursue that at Columbia, right? Correct, correct. And it specifically says, tell us what from your current and past experiences is a match for this major or majors. Um, so that, I think often students read these supplemental questions incorrectly, um, and they tell Columbia how fantastic you know, their physics department yes. is. 
and as opposed to saying why your experiences in physics have led you to wanting to major in physics um, at Columbia. So I, I think it's, it's a difference where you're talking more about yourself and how you're a match for their program and things that you find specifically appealing about their program, um, not just that they have a fantastic program, because they already know that they're a prestigious yes. school and they have, you know, wonderful resources there. Um, they want to know why you're a fit for those resources. Exactly. And I think that is, if we stress nothing else today in this <laughs> segment, that is really a key element of it. And so in the, you certainly, in the what you value most about Columbia, you're, I think Mary Sue's advice is really great. You want to steer clear of the specific academic piece that you want to study. And you also want to steer clear of that flattery. They already think they're great. They don't need you to tell them that they're great. What they want to hear from you is why what they have or what is it that they have that is a good fit for you. So I love this program because of X, Y, and Z, mm -hmm. not you have this fabulous program. Well, whoops you do. I know I have a fabulous program. That doesn't tell me anything. So any, any last advice on for either approaching yeah. either of these two? Yes. So I would say that uh, just a little bit about the first one, which is tell us much you value most about Columbia. Probably their two most common answers to that are that people really like their core curriculum and they really like that they're in New York City. Um, again, much like the academics, you have to go beyond that and not just say, I value that you have a core, but why do you like the core? Why do you like being in New York City? What do you see yourself taking advantage of through that opportunity? Um, so it has to go further than just, I like this and it seems like a good program, but how does that match with your particular learning style or interests or career goals? So it, it does have to take it a step further because many students will say that answer. We saw the, those types of answers of about New York City a lot mm -hmm. at Barnard. And so we didn't want to just know that you really liked New York, but what did you want to do with that opportunity of living in New York? Got it. Great. Mary Sue, thank you so much, and thanks to all my guests today. Next week, Sally is hosting. We're going to be talking about steps to take if you are deferred in the early round, uh, summer programs, and the role that advising plays in holding down college costs. If you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Visit our blog, and don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Music.